When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Georgia got a great show for you guys planned today we've got Jordan Reed NFL scout uh, check him out on Twitter at J Reed NFL that's J R E I D NFL dude is incredible when it comes to evaluating talent um, pretty much if you've seen a viral video of a guy on the all 22 film doing something incredible odds are Jordan has been the one to call it uh, or call attention to it and put it out he's got his draft guide coming out as well be on the lookout for that um but first you know before we get into that we've got to get to the business however wherever you found this podcast please like rate subscribe and review give it that five star rating that's what gets your boy paid we appreciate you guys for doing that uh without any further ado we'll get right into it here's jordan reed nfl draft scout thank you guys for listening all right, folks, welcome into the NFL Mocks podcast hosted by Fansided. On today's show, we are joined by NFL Draft Scout Jordan Reed. Jordan is the host of the Draft Board podcast, excuse me, and co-host of Climb the Pocket. Uh, and if you want to read his work, yeah, that's right, read. You should read every once in a while, folks. It's good for you. You can catch him out over there at CoverOne.net. Uh, and he also does a little bit of freelance writing for InsideThePylon.com. Uh, Jordan, if I missed anything, feel free to plug that there. Um, and you can, of course, check Jordan out on Twitter. Pretty famous out there on Twitter these days. Jay Reed, that's R-E-I-D, not to be confused with Jordan Reed of the Washington Redskins. Jay Reed, NFL. Uh, check him out on Twitter. First of all, Jordan, thanks so much for joining us here on the NFL Mocks podcast, my man. No problem. Excited to be on. Most definitely. So I did a little research on you, Jordan. And by research, I mean I Googled you, all right? It doesn't take much these days to find out what, uh, you know, guests are all about and what their background is. So, um, let's get in right to it. How good of a quarterback were you in your days at North Carolina Central? And if you had to give yourself a draft eval, what would it have been? Well, that was okay. Um, I had a breakout year in my junior year, uh, senior year. I had some injuries, so my my stats really did slip. 
my senior year, so I had a breakout year my junior year. I think I had like 13 touchdowns and 12 interceptions or something like that. I wasn't a superstar or nothing like that where I just put up astronomical numbers like Kyler Murray or anything like that. Um, I actually was a three-year starter at North Carolina Central, so I pride myself in. I love my, my school I went to. Um, I went into coaching right after. I didn't pursue an NFL career or anything like that. I just got tired of taking those hits. I wanted to be able to walk by the time I was 30. Amen to that <laughs> I, had a, I had a passion for writing, and I actually kept a blog my entire time when I was in college. And I didn't publish it or anything like that, but I just wrote down my thoughts that I had about certain sporting events that happened or transactions that happened, and I said, hey, man, let's just make a career out of this, and that's exactly what I pursued, and here I am today. Man, it's an awesome story you got there. And obviously, you know, playing quarterbacks probably helped you moving into this evaluating of talent. Because as a quarterback, you know, you kind of got to have your hand in everything. You kind of got to know a little bit about what all's going on. I'll tell you a little bit about myself. I obviously come from a football background as well. Uh, not necessarily the D1 caliber players such as yourself. I played small D2 ball down here in Georgia. But, um, you know, I love it too. I love the film evaluating. And obviously you do. And that's what we're here to talk about talk a little bit about football so you have two podcasts obviously a litany a litany excuse me of articles 21,000 followers on Twitter and over 71,000 tweets Jordan that's the one thing that stuck out to me it's pretty damn clear that you work your ass off so what's created that obsession uh, if you will with studying the game of football and producing content and have you always loved watching film a little bit dating back to that question we just talked about yeah, so I have a pretty unique and interesting story, and I actually love telling it every single time everyone asks me. So what happened was I'm a Vikings fan, and a lot of people don't really know that. So the whole purpose I really started my You're Twitter spoiling was... my next question, Jordan. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Go ahead. So you started so, your Twitter. Yeah, so in 2015, it was March of 2015, I believe it was, right when free agency opened up. The Vikings had a connection with Michael Johnson, the defensive end from the Cincinnati Bengals at the time. Mm -hmm. He was a free agent. And I just thought the world of him for whatever reason. Out of tech. Back then. Yeah. So what happened was they let him leave the building. And the thing with the Vikings is whenever they bring them into Minnesota, they hardly ever leave. That's the thing about the Vikings. And whenever they do leave, they never come back. So that's what happened with Michael Johnson. So I was absolutely pissed about that. And I was just like, man, somebody has to hear my mouth about this. And I saw, I started the Twitter and I found who were the most popular Vikings people on there. So, of course, I followed the Vikings official account and some other mm -hmm. writers at the time. And I was just tweeting them like, man, why wouldn't we sign Michael Johnson? We're a complete failure. Mike Zimmer's going to fail. <laughs> and so I was that mad online guy. <laughs> and come to find out, they ended up with the new hunter in the draft that year. So it did work out in no. the end. But after that, uh, I ended up being a Vikings writer, just showing the passion for that. And I started off with a small website. It was called the NFC North Bar Room, and it's not in existence anymore. It's just called the Bears Bar Room now. They've just transitioned to being a Bears site. But that's where I got my first start. And I've contributed for so many Vikings websites, Viking Update. Um, the Daily Norseman was another one. I've lose my train of thought because <laughs> I've been through every single one of them, but I wanted to expand my horizons and I didn't want to be just one team centric because I just love interacting with everybody. And growing up, I always had a love for the NFL draft and all my friends used to call me weird because they would watch the first round back when it was two days long. Or yeah. Back when you, it was three days long. You're, all, you're all day two or day three watching rounds yeah, three through yeah, seven. And I'm they're like, dude, the who, yeah. you don't even know these guys. What's the right. point? Yeah. I've I'm had the same the conversations with my boys. <laughs> 
I'm sitting on the couch back when it was three days, and I'm just watching the entire thing. So I'm just sitting on the couch eating pizza, eating chips, just wanting to know every single guy that had been drafted. Because my friends used to call me Mr. ESPN. That was like my nickname growing up. Because whenever we played the game, I would know every single person that was involved in the game. And they were just like, man, how did you know this guy's name? And where school he went to. And I, I was play a like, lot of Madden. <laughs> I'm with you. I'm with you. So, I, I, I mean, it's carried over. And so now, and I just love the draft and I love football. And I said, let's just combine the two and try to make a career out of it. And it's ended up working out for me. All right, so I, you, you spoiled a little bit of my research. I always like to, you know, you know, maybe not su- necessarily surprise my guests with the research I'm running down on them, but, you know, you didn't spoil it all. You, you're, apparently your fandom with the Vikings began in 1998, so I got to know what in the hell happened in 1998 and how do you describe those last 21 years of Viking fandom? Well, so what happened was I always stuck with Randy Moss. He's the guy that made me love football. And, of course, he was drafted by the Vikings. Mm-hmm. And he really is the probably the most notable name in franchise history. And I just stayed with the team even when he left to go to the Raiders and the Patriots and all of that stuff. And I love the colors. I just love purple and gold for whatever reason. So I've always just stuck with the team. And even though they've broken my heart the past few years and throughout the past decade, I've still been able to stay with them. I feel you. I feel you. All right. So why are you working so hard, man? What's the dream? You're trying to be a GM one day? You want to be on ESPN? What's the dream? Why are you out here grinding as hard as you are and, and producing such great content, Jordan? What's the goal? Yeah, so I do not want to be a scout because I've heard you actually trying a to travel. scouts. Yeah, I know a couple of scouts um, from a couple of teams and just the way that they have described that lifestyle. I don't really mm-hmm. want any parts of that. So in like a Daniel Jeremiah, Bucky Brooks type of media role, that's really like my ultimate dream. Mm-hmm. And hopefully whenever DJ or Bucky retires, hopefully <laughs> I can feel their shoes. You know what? I'll be your DJ. You can be my Bucky. How's that sound? Yeah, unless, you already got, unless you already got a DJ lined up. And, and in which case, you know, I can send in an application or a resume. But um, let's get into this uh, A-B trade, man. It was the huge news out of this weekend, right? NFL free agency kicked off today. But the huge news out of this weekend broke in the wee hours of uh, Sunday morning is Antonio Brown to Oakland. So for a third and fifth round pick, and obviously Oakland gives him a new contract, three years worth up to $54 million with over $30 million guaranteed. So before we get into any of the player empowerment conversations, Jordan, what are your initial thoughts of the trades just in terms of Pittsburgh and Oakland, my man? Well, just let's talk about from Oakland standpoint. And I actually love the deal because they needed some star power, mm-hmm. whether that was through free agency or through the draft. They needed to find a way to bring a star in the building because so much star power left. Especially with traded. the move coming to Las Vegas coming up soon as well. Man. You got to get a ticket. You got to sell tickets down there. It's not you're not the biggest attraction in Las Vegas, nor will you ever be. Absolutely. And then you talk about Mark Cooper going out the building. Khalil Mack going out the building as well. They needed to bring that big notable name. And then with Gruden, he always wants to bring a splash whenever he comes along and have him with him in Tampa Bay when he was with Keyshawn Johnson. Got to bring a splash, man. Yeah. <laughs> now he's bringing another notable name with Antonio Brown. And what's really going to be interesting about this move from Oakland's standpoint is how good are they going to be through the duration of mm-hmm. Antonio Brown's contract. And then he's not used to losing. I think they've averaged 10 wins a year when he was in Pittsburgh. But now with Oakland, it's going to be a bit of a transition with him because they're, I don't think they're going to be very good next year. Mm-hmm. Just with what's on the roster right now, that can change after the draft. And it can change after free agency as well. We know we're in the middle of that mm-hmm. right now. So, It'll be interesting to see exactly what does happen with Oakland, but Mike Mayer, I think he made a statement 
with the Trent Brown signing and with trading for Antonio Brown as well. So he's trying to change the culture a little bit around there. And they wanted to really mold this thing with their own identity. Yeah. And I think that's why they shipped some of those guys out. And now they want to bring some of their own guys in. Now, from Pitt, Pittsburgh's standpoint, I think it was a total disaster, in my opinion, because with Le'Veon Bell going out the building and now Antonio Brown leaving as well, you have no Super Bowls to show for that, only three playoff wins under the three Bs or triple Bs or whatever they were called. I think it was the triple Bs. Uh, they only had three playoff wins. And now with two superstar caliber elite type of talents leaving the building, you only have a third round pick and a fifth round pick to show for it. So then also you have 21 million against the cap. Yeah, dead that's money the huge next thing year, to me, so. man. It's the dead money. Like yeah, it, the NFL being a cap ridden sport is like it's one thing. It's hard enough for these guys with their roster turnover rate at what, like 40%? You lose like 40% of your NFL roster every single year to free agency. So cap room is always limited. For you to just eat $21 million for a player not to be on your team, it's hard to say you come out of this at all anything but just a flat-out loser in the, in the trade. But, um, you know, the, the argument's always been, or, you know, not always been, but in terms of this conversation – it's just, to me, been entirely fascinating as hell because it's the groundbreaking player empowerment movement in the NFL, like in the history of the NFL for me, Jordan. I've never seen a player, we see him hold out for money all the time, right? Aaron Donald hold out for money. All, all the predominant skill position players hold out for money. Quarterbacks never really seem to have to do that. We might be able to get into that a little bit later. Um, I think I know why, and I think you might be able to know why. Obviously, they're really, really important players. But nonetheless, we've never seen a guy – basically threaten and pull the trade me now card a la, or a la Anthony Davis or insert NBA uh, superstar here. So not only does he get the trade that he forced, he then gets the raise. So, I mean, Mr. Big Chest coming through, Jordan, what does this speak to you in terms of player empowerment? Um, is this a first step of many or do you really have to be, you know, a number one, number two of your position to pull this kind of rank right here? Yeah, I think you have to be an elite caliber type of talent. Yeah. And that's the only way. Deadlines always push things in the NFL. And he was due a roster bonus on the 13th, mm-hmm. I believe it was. And Pittsburgh was not going to pay that. Let's be honest about that. Everybody knew, especially with the circumstances that they were facing. They just were not going to do that because they were already on the outs with Antonio Brown. He made it adamant that they wanted to trade him as well. And he was on the same end of the spectrum as well, requesting a trade. So there was no way in the world that they were going to pay that roster bonus to him. But I think it goes to speak just how much power the players do have. And Mm -hmm. I think it's going to shake up the owners a little bit because what's known about NFL players is that they're not known to stick together. And that's something that Antonio Brown did show that him and his agent did stick together to get the leverage that they wanted. And I think Antonio Brown had the established leverage, even though some people were saying that they didn't have that leverage. I think they did. Mm And just goes to show that Drew Rosenhaus is still the best agent in the business. I was about to say, that's the name right there. Drew Rosenhaus. When you sign up for that, you don't sign up for pretty and clean. Oftentimes it's messy and loud. So what we were talking about a little bit in pre-show here, Jordan, is to me it was kind of funny. You got to see on Twitter just exactly where people fell in in terms of this argument. They were either on one side or the other. And the two sides were there's the pro-empowerment or, excuse me, pro-player empowerment take where it's, you know, essentially, hell yeah, go get your money, go do what you got to do to get that money. It doesn't matter what you got to do. Player empowerment, freedom, do what you got to do. Then there's the other argument 
where, you know, what a terrible example for the children. I saw that on Twitter. Um, just quit on your team. Uh, you know, don't show up for practice. Make a big spectacle, and eventually you'll get what you want. Um, where do you fall on that spectrum, Jordan? I kind of feel, based off our comments already, um, I kind of feel like I know uh, where you stand. In terms of A.B., the way he did it, um, what are your thoughts on that, my man? Uh, I mean, I was fine with what he did. Honestly, mm-hmm. I don't want to say that I think he went about it wrong because I'm all for players, especially in negotiations with the NFL players, not having guaranteed contracts. They have certain guaranteed money in their deals, but they don't have fully guaranteed contracts like the NBA or, or the yeah. Major League Baseball. So, I mean, I'm fine with what he did. I don't have a problem at all with the stance that he took or anything like that. Now, it's just with the Raiders, they have to be willing to deal with some of his antics from here and there because, I mean, let's just be honest. Wide receivers are known as that diva type of position, mm-hmm. and it just comes it just comes with that position. So I think if they're able to maintain him, he'll be just fine. And I don't think he's had any outbursts or anything like that no. prior to this fiasco with the Steelers. So I think his off-the-field antics and yeah. kind of his on-the-field behavior is being a little bit overblown. I mean, obviously – Tom Brady's not caught on Facebook Live during a post-game press conference in which his coach is telling everybody to turn off the social media and stay away from that kind of stuff and those distractions. But the sideline antics, if you will, the sideline passionate or being passionate on the sidelines, screaming at teammates, getting into it with offensive coordinators and whatnot. We see uh, quarterbacks for, you know, do this kind of stuff all the time on the sideline. And yet it's never a question, you know, it's always just uh, deemed they're passionate or being uh, eccentric about the game. We never hear the arguments of them being a distraction or anything. Now, the off-the-field off the field stuff and the in-the-locker-room kind of stuff, obviously, you know, the, like you said, Oakland's going to have to figure out a way to maintain and deal with that. Um, let's see, what do I got here for you? I know you watch a ton of film. Uh, explain to the audience what kind of stress A.B. puts on a defense and with him leaving uh, the Pittsburgh Steelers this year, what do you think Juju Smith-Schuster ends up looking like now that A.B.'s gone? Because I know a lot of dynasty owners uh, in fantasy were pretty happy to see uh, Antonio Brown go away, some Juju Smith owners. But uh, what do you think he does next year? I know he's going to see a lot more coverage, my man. Yeah, and I mean, A.B., he's a guy that can put stress on the defense from the slot or in the outside. And the best thing about him is that he can be a home run hitter, whether that's down the field or you can get the ball in his hands quick and he can take it the distance as well. And you're going to have to double cover him. And that's the that's his best asset because he's going to open up everybody as well. And that's the effect that he had on Juju Smith-Schuster throughout the year because Juju, he mostly dominated in the slot. That's really where his best role mm-hmm. is. But now he's going to have all of the attention on him. And then – when Antonio Brown did sit out that week 17 game, he just, when he had to step up and be that number one guy, he just wasn't able to do it. So it's going to be a bit of an adjustment for him because his, some coverages are going to roll to him and there's going to be some double covering of Juju as well because they don't have a reliable option after Juju right now. I mean, James Washington, he didn't prove to be what he what many people thought he was. Come on, man. You're not on the switch wagon? I mean, he's not. I don't think he's a number two or number three guy. I think he's a more down the line. I'm going to tell you guy. what, my man, my man was raw as hell on NCAA 14 in North Carolina. I'm going to tell you that <laughs> yeah, right now. My boy was saucy. Um, no, nah, but I'm not huge on Switzer either. You mentioned Juju. Play, I mean, obviously he played majority of the snaps out of the slot last year. Does he move kind of into that outside receiver role, into that X or Y, or does he stick at the Z? I know we're talking some extreme football terminology here, but basically for those sitting at home, X and Y play on the out. Uh, Z plays in the middle or on this slot. Is that correct? Uh, no. Except Y is tight end. I don't know. You get what I'm saying, Jordan. Is he going to play outside or is he going to remain in the slot, man? 
So the X is always to the boundary. That's there you usually, go. usually your bigger body type of receivers, and your Z is more to the field. Mm-hmm. Uh, as far as you know, getting those one-on-one matchups, and your Y is obviously the tight end. And mm-hmm. there's letters for everybody. It's different in every single system, but X Y Z is usually the the universal terminology that teams like to use. Mm-hmm. And I think Juju can really play the X or the Z, but he's gonna have to learn to be more consistent at both of those spots. And I think it's to be determined what he's going to play next year. And they're not going to take him primarily outside just because he's been so productive in the slot. So let's say they draft a guy like a Hakeem Butler from Iowa State. Now Juju mm. is able to stay in the slot because now you have that big X receiver outside yeah. to take some of the stress off of him as well. So that's why I say it's to be determined because we don't really know if they're going to draft the receiver early or if they draft the guy late. Yeah, I'm just curious why we got on this topic, Jordan. What are your thoughts or what were your thoughts on James Washington coming out of Oklahoma State and uh, watching his first year there in Pittsburgh? Can he, you know, he's obviously going to have to step up here. They uh, took an early round pick on him last year. Uh, What has he got in the bag coming up this year? Yeah, so I was kind of up and down about him. I think I ended up having a third-round grade on him. He still was in my top ten. I think he was like seven or eight-ranked mm-hmm. guy last year. Uh, I wasn't high on him as most. I think some people had like an early second-round grade on him. But I wasn't really high on him, that high on him, because I thought he was a bit mechanical in his movements. And I yeah. thought he really was in a system that really manufactured touches to him, especially down the field. Now, he was explosive. He was very explosive at Oklahoma State. I don't want to take that away from him, but I thought he had a really limited route tree. Yeah, it really was a, deep ball. To, deep yeah, I was ball about to say, to me, just a yeah. 50-50 ball monster, yeah. and that's really all you know you're going to get. Everything else is just, you know, icing on the cake. Um, yeah, it was deep ball and bust. Yeah, for sure. So now that we got the A-B trade knocked out of the way, um, we'll see what he does in Oakland, obviously. I'm with you, Jordan. It's not going to be a very good football team uh, in the foreseeable future. But, hey, they, they hold on to the three first-round picks. Uh, we'll see what they can do with those. Let's get into this NFL free agency. Obviously, uh, the doors opened this morning, and my notifications were flying off the wall all day long. Uh, we'll start with the Rams re-signing Dante Fowler to a one-year $14 million uh, deal, and they added – uh, safety, 34-year-old Eric Weddle, to a two-year worth up to 12 and a half, but the base salary is $10.5 million. Um, obviously, we'll start with Dante Fowler, man. I love this one-year deal. I'm not really high on Dante Fowler, but to me, this is a kid you put his feet to the fire like we saw after he got traded, and uh, you get a lot more productivity out of him. You get a lot more energy and a lot more fight and finish. And as far as Weddle goes, man, uh, just a savvy Really, really smart safety uh, joining a defensive back crew that doesn't necessarily, you know, doesn't necessarily have the disciplinary uh, coverage schemes and whatnot with Marcus Peters and Aqib Tlaib, two really, really aggressive yet, uh, you know, premier corners there. So what are your thoughts on both of those signings, Jordan? Obviously start wherever you want, my man. Yeah, I was really surprised that he got as much money as he did. I didn't expect him to get in the upper tier, like $14 million. I wasn't really expecting that high of a number just because he wasn't really productive. Prior to his stint with the Rams last year, where he did get traded for a third-round pick, I believe it was. So Yes, sir, it was. And I was really surprised that it was just a one-year deal. But once again, he just wanted to bet on himself and hopefully be able to cash in mm-hmm. in 2020. And that's what you're seeing a lot around the league as well. Guys signing one-year deals, betting on themselves to help themselves cash in on the following year. And that's what he's really banking on. And I think it was a great move for him. 
especially if he's able to stay healthy. And anytime you can play opposite of Aaron Donald, I think that's going to help any type of pass rusher because he's going to take up the center and the guard every single time when he's in there because he's going to command those double teams. And then Fowler is going to get a lot of one-on-one situations. So I think it was it's basically the best of both worlds for the Rams yeah. and then for Fowler as well. And then just speaking on the safety signing with Eric Weddle, I think replacing a guy like a LaMarcus Joyner now, they, mm-hmm. are, they are a bit different. LaMarcus Joyner is that really that single high sideline to sideline type yeah. of safety. And Eric Weddle is capable of doing that, but not as consistently mm-hmm. as LaMarcus Joyner was in the past. But I think pairing him with John Johnson, who I think is a very underrated player, I think that's going to help him as well. So pairing both of those guys really to be interchangeable types and Wade Phillips defense, I think is going to be a really good duo. Yeah, man. I mean, we'll see if Dante Fowler can stay on the field, man. But this is a top 10 pick out of, uh, out of Florida. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Jordan, that, you know, for in spring training or, you know, first to camp, tore his ACL his rookie year and then kind of just had a, you know, a less than stellar career there in Jacksonville. Got a fresh start uh, in the trade there. And again, man, I like the deal. Force the kid. I mean, he's betting on himself again. But for the Rams, man, they're cap ridden uh, for the rest of the time. And then it gets worse when Goff's rookie deal gets up, too. So um, they need short term uh, salary and big term, big time players, in my opinion. So we'll move on there. Um the Lions signed Danny Amendola to a one-year, $5.5 million deal, but that's not why we're here, Jordan. We're here to talk about Trey Flowers to a five-year deal around $16.5, $17 million per uh, over those five-year deal or over that five-year deal. So what are your first thoughts on uh, Trey Flowers, my man, the defensive end formerly of the New England Patriots? I think you hit the nail on the head with the last words you said, the Patriots. I mean, this was mm-hmm. a clear link between the two teams. That's what I Matt got. Patricia's. Yeah, it was Classic Matt, protege. Matt. Absolutely. With Matt Patricia's former Patriots background, I Mm -hmm. think we were able to connect the dots. And a lot of people were thinking that he was going to go to the highest bidder and maybe the Lions were the highest bidder. But he seemed like he wanted to go somewhere where he was familiar with the scheme. And that's exactly what he can do in Matt Patricia's scheme, because he's familiar with it with his time in New England. And then the time that Patricia has spent with Belichick. He's not going to have to learn anything new. And maybe there's some new terminology that he implemented last year Mm -hmm. when his first year with the Lions that may carry over from his time in New England as well. But the best thing that is for Flowers is that he can play fast. He doesn't have to learn a new system because I think a common consensus about the league is with free agents that they're better in their second season Mm -hmm. because they're comfortable in the scheme in that second year. But that's not always true. Systems are not easy to pick up, man. People think you're just going out there chasing ball or hitting dude in front of you, and that's that's just not the case, man. It takes a while. Absolutely, and that's something that's going to be familiar with Flowers and it's going to allow him to play fast as well. Yeah, I mean, like, we hit on it already, but this Patriots protege thing, I just don't necessarily get, man. We saw Vrabel do this crap all summer last summer. Um, signing uh, Butler and Deion Lewis straight off the, you know, basically off the cut, you know, slot meet from the Patriots. Um, I guess my question is, what do you think of these guys that are just linked to uh, Belichick? And do you think any of them necessarily have the, you know, the wheels or the the car moving in the right direction at their new place or, you know, other than Bill O'Brien? That's about the only one I can speak even relatively high of. I'm not, I'm not high on Vrabel. I'm, Definitely not high on Patricia the way he showed his ass all season last year. Um, what are your thoughts, man? Am I being too harsh on these guys um, or, or what's, what's up? No, you're not. And it just goes to show how great the system mm-hmm. is that Belichick is running and what he's implemented. And whenever anybody's detached from that, it just hasn't worked out. 
So kudos to Bill Belichick and just the system that he has running with the Patriots. And me as a GM, I honestly wouldn't touch a Bill Belichick disciple just because the hit rate just hasn't been good throughout the league. And, I mean, it's been evident. Josh McDaniels is the head coach. Yeah. Uh, Matt Patricia last year, the list goes on and on. These guys that have just failed when they've detached from Bill Belichick's system. So I would be terrified of touching any of those guys and even the players that have went away from the Patriots haven't been success stories either. And even last year, Nate Solder, Solder really struggled at the beginning of the year, mm-hmm. and Malcolm Butler just hasn't worked out with the Titans either. So yeah. anytime somebody comes from the New England Patriots, yeah, I just would be very hesitant about it. And even with the Oakland Raiders signing Trent Brown, prior yeah. to his time with the Patriots, when he was with the 49ers, he was known as being massively overweight. Mm-hmm. But he magically got implemented in the Patriots system, and he became one of the best left tackles in the game. Yeah. Now he's shipped off and gets paid with the Raiders. So I just would be hesitant to make moves with former Patriot players, and especially former Patriot head coaches or assistant coaches. Do you think part of the reason these former Patriot assistant coaches that now have their head coaching roles go out and get these former Patriot players is because they're trying to mimic that hard-nosed, hard-ass coaching style and the only way they can get the type of culture around. Because these are grown men, right? These are 32, 33-year-old men that don't really appreciate being told to, that they're not practicing hard, or that they're not being professional, and all this kind of do-your-job-every-day-no-days-off kind of stuff. These guys hire these retreads, if you will, to come in and set the culture and basically just be yes-men for their coach. Granted, they take you know, $65 million over five years or whatever it was. I, I'm not very good at math, but they take $17 million a year to do it. But is that part of the reason these guys go out and sign these uh, former Patriot players? Yeah, it is. And, I mean, for whatever reason, whenever they're implemented in that system, they just turn into a completely different player. And mm-hmm. I think it's just the culture that Bill Belichick has established there. And like I said, I just would be very hesitant to touch any player coming from that mm-hmm. just because – there isn't a coach around the league that has the respect that Bill Belichick has and his yeah. legacy speaks for itself. And whenever you walk into that building, you're just going to feel like a completely different player. And that's mm-hmm. exactly what happens with coaches as well. And then when they exit the building, they just think they can magically repeat exactly what Bill Belichick has done and implement the same rules that he has or had in New England when they were there. But they don't have the respect of the players like Bill Belichick does have. And with him establishing that system, they just don't understand exactly how to implement it and then execute it. You know, what? it reminds me of a classic case study I read in graduate school, Jordan. And bear with me here. But it was a story about uh, when Toyota first brought their very first manufacturing plant here to America, and they were whooping all of American-made companies, and they couldn't quite figure it out. And these American companies were like, hey, Toyota offers this open tour around their entire facility to anybody and everybody. They don't even check IDs. And then finally a reporter ran down the Toyota CEO and said, hey, man, why do you just give these open tours to your plant and to your manufacturing uh, and, and allow the competition to come in here and take your, uh, you, you know, your systems and, and the way you run things? And the CEO looked at him and said, you can come in here. You can write down every single procedure we've got. You can try to mimic and copy every single thing down to the T, but you will never copy the culture, and I think that is the you know the one thing that I think of when I think of all these retreads and all these former assistants from New England being hired by other programs. It's just you're never going to be able to exactly copy something a legend's doing. He's a legend for a damn reason. Um, you're not going to be able to do it. So, um, sorry for you know. Bear with me on that one. Um, all right. So you mentioned Trent Brown. Let's get into that. Uh, actually, I got Eagles right here. I thought the Eagles made three solid moves. Uh, this week, they extended Jason Kelsey. 
uh, best center in the league, I think, there. Uh, Jason Peters, they extended him for what seems to be about $10 million contract for one year, but $5.5 million of it is, is tied up in bonuses. So if and when he hits that, um, he might get that much money. But the biggest move to me, they trade for Deshaun Jackson and then sign him to a three-year, $10 million deal, 32 years old, Jordan. What do you think Jackson can bring back to Philly? I think he's exactly what they were missing. And why do I say that? Because they have a lot of guys that can work the underneath areas, but they were depending on Nelson Aguilar to be that explosive guy. Down I got better field. hands than Nelson Aguilar, Jordan. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he got better the past two seasons. He, he did. didn't have he did. as many drops as in previous seasons, especially early on. But Deshaun Jackson just brings a unique skill set. And speed is just something that you cannot teach. And even though he is 32 years old, he still has that unique speed that he can take the top off the defense with. And he's a big play waiting to happen. And then you have a big arm quarterback like Carson Wentz forcing the ball down the field. I think Deshaun Jackson can be a huge asset to them. And the best thing about Deshaun Jackson is that he can open up the underneath areas, even if he's just used as a decoy. So now you're opening up things in the middle of the field for Dallas Goddard and especially Zach Ertz to work the short to intermediate areas. Then you have Alshon Jeffrey and now Nelson Aguilar. We'll see if he does come back at his cap number of nine million. That's still to be determined. But if you have those two guys working those underneath areas, as well as those two big tight ends in the middle, now you're having these ultimate weapons. That's really hard to stop. Do you know what the cap hit is on releasing Nelson Aguilar, Jordan? I do not. I do not. I would venture to say they probably let him go. Nine million dollars for a fourth slot receiver. Um, you know, or at least a fourth receiver on your depth chart. That's uh, probably a little bit too pricey for NFL, uh, any NFL team. But I got right here in big, bold letters and fire the horns. Questionable decision alert. Questionable decision alert. You mentioned it earlier. The Raiders signed Trent Brown to a four-year, $66 million deal worth $37 million guaranteed. And you mentioned it again. Look, I think it's safe to say Trent Brown is a very specific type of football player that can only succeed in a very specific type of offense. The Pats were the perfect downhill, straightforward, hit you in your mouth offense. Can he succeed in John Gruden's offense, Jordan? That is the question. You signed him for four years. At least you got to pay him for three. Um, maybe uh, be able to cut him after the fourth and cut weight there. But um, can he make it happen there in Oakland? It's going to be tough. And why do I say that? Because I think it's up to the offensive line coach and Tom Cable. And he hasn't had – Every experiment that he's had has just been a complete failure, even when he was in Seattle and they were experimenting with defensive linemen as offensive linemen, no. even guys that they brought into the building. No. It, they've just gotten worse every single time under him. And I just don't understand how offensive linemen just don't develop under him. It happened with Colton Miller last year. He just got worse. And I know he was yeah. injured, but he didn't get any better as the year went on. And then on the opposite side as well, Brandon Parker. He wasn't any better as well. Mm-hmm. The fifth round, their fifth round rookie as well. So, I think him transitioning from Dante Scarnecki, who was I think is the best offensive line coach ever, now transitioning to Tom Cable. I think that's a massive step down. And now you combine that with the weight concerns that may come back with him. Now that he has, he's filthy rich. Let's just be honest about that. He's got that big contract mm-hmm. that he has been wanting forever. I just don't want him to get comfortable. 
And that was my biggest concern with Trent yeah. Brown and why I wouldn't sign him just because if he is going to get comfortable, I think now you're going to see his weight fluctuate back up again. And then he's had struggles with that in San Francisco. And that's the biggest reason why he was ultimately shipped off to New England. And then he's another player you talk about detaching from that culture in New England as well. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be interesting to see exactly what happens with him in Oakland. But me personally, I wouldn't have touched Trent Brown. Yeah, I mean, Trent Brown, definitely a mercenary there in New England last year, right? A guy who knew he was there for one year and he better maximize it. And next thing you know, uh, Skarniecki, and I, I know you mentioned you think he might be the best offensive line coach ever um, as the residential offensive line guru here on the NFL Mox podcast. I will tell you that Skarniecki is the best offensive line coach ever. And I don't know what him and Belichick got going on. The fact that no one's hired him out of New England is the most mystifying thing in the history of the NFL to me. I can't – they must be paying him – Kraft must be giving him a, a good $7, 8000000 million under the table. I don't know <laughs> I don't know what the hell's going on there, man, but guys like that, they just don't – they just don't hang around at programs, right? They get hired out. It's like the defensive coordinator there at Clemson. When you find out he makes $3.5 million to be a defensive coordinator, you're like, oh, well, I guess I, I know why he's staying there to be a defensive coordinator, except we don't know why in the hell Skarniecki is still there – and not, you know, doing something way, way more important than being the offensive line coach and running the NFC or the, a- yeah, the AFC East and running it into the ground. So I got questionable decision alert number two, and this one really, really hurt me. Uh, not that I have any fandom here, but it just doesn't make any sense. Um, question for you, Jordan. If the linebackers you draft can't stay out of trouble and on the field, what do you do? I'll tell you what you do. If- Did you not hear the question? <laughs> yeah, I heard you. I mean, if they can't stay on the field, then, I mean, there's no way you can pay them or no way you can play them. And I yeah. think you're talking about Quan Alexander. Yeah, so you go pay yeah. Quan Alexander $54 million over four. He's the richest contract for an inside linebacker ever. Jordan, I don't know. I don't see it, man. This is a guy who since 2011, and shout out to my boy Sam Monson over at PFF, since 2011, only nine players have missed over 50 tackles. Quan Alexander's missed 78, Jordan. This isn't wow. the richest linebacker ever. I don't see this. What were the Niners doing? And it's just, just because Robert or Reuben Foster couldn't stay on the field. Yeah, and I think kind of the weird thing about all of this is that John Lynch, whoever he signed, has been an ACL attached to it. And oh, I know some of just them. Just October of, them of last year, prayer, man. With Jarek McKinnon. Yeah. He tore his ACL, Jimmy Garoppolo. Once again, tore his ACL as well. So he's had a bit of bad luck with that. And he came in with all these glitz and glamour when he was hired with the 49ers. But it just hasn't worked out to this point. And I know the team has been banged up as a whole. And it's kind of unfair to judge him at this point. Let's see him with a fully healthy team. But the results just haven't been there right now. And I think year three, going into year three, is going to be a big year, a judgmental year for them. But just talking about the on-the-field standpoint, I really like the fit pairing him with Fred Warner. Yeah. But now you they have They hit on him about, last year. Fred Warner yeah, you, you out you of Northwestern, about. right? Where is he from? Yeah. Northwestern. Was, yeah. Fred Warner's out of BYU. Oh, my bad. Yeah, he came from BYU. A similar so, school, pair. right? <laughs> yeah. Pairing those two together, I think, could be a formidable duo, but you have to factor in the ACL injury as well, which makes this decision really questionable. I got you. All right, so we'll move on to the next one. Uh, Landon Collins to Washington, six years, $84 million. I got another question for you. Let's just pretend you're Dave Gettleman, George, or, uh, Jordan. Three weeks ago, I tell you the asking price for uh, Landon Collins is $14 million a year over however many years you want to pay him or else – he stays in the division for six years and plays for Washington. What are you doing as Dave Kettleman? 
I would let him go. Honestly, I just can't pay a safety that much, especially a guy that's strictly a box guy for mm-hmm. the most part. And there's a false perception out there about that he can't cover. But I think that's really false about him because he can cover. He just had some rough patches last year. But he has a tremendous effect on a defense. But I just don't think that's worth $14 million a year. And mm-hmm. I think there's only a select few type of positions that you pay that much throughout the league. I think it's left tackle, quarterback, and edge rusher. I think those are the obvious big three. But outside of that, I just can't pay that much or top-shelf dollar for a safety. Would you have not at, uh, at least slapped him with the uh, salary – or excuse me, the uh, franchise tag at $11.5 million? Wasn't that oh, the franchise yeah. I, price? I, I think that would have been a better option. And I, I think just... the Giants completely botched this because at the trade deadline, they could have traded Landon Collins. And there were some teams that actually wanted him for a third-round pick. So you could have yeah. got that instead of him essentially leaving for nothing and you won't even get – that 2020, you won't get that compensatory pick until 2020, that third round pick that you could have got this year instead of recouping it in 2020. Yeah, I'm not going to sit here and pretend like I fully understand the compensation picks and the way they work in the NFL. I understand that some players qualify for compensation picks when they leave in free agency and you get like a third or or a fourth or a fifth on the kickback a year later. Um, Extremely confusing there for me, but I, I get the principle of that there. Um, I, I mean, I like the signing there for Washington. Obviously, like you hit on all the reasons to love Landon Collins. I mean, uh, safety out of Alabama, right? Thumper mm-hmm. amongst all thumpers in the NFL. Um, was watching some highlight tapes today, and you never fully – or not some highlight tapes, but some film today. You never fully understand how big Landon Collins is until you actually flip on tape and just see the sheer broadness – and uh, explosiveness of that young man. So I love the signing. You, you lock him up for six years, however long it lasts. And you know what? He is the closest thing since Sean Taylor. He's not Sean Taylor. Let's be very, very clear about that. But he is the closest thing since Sean Taylor they've had in Washington. And uh, something, I guess, for those fans to look forward to. So I'm good on that one. Um, Jordan, Frank Gore going to die on an NFL field, my man. I, I'm serious. <laughs> yeah. I know he's only 35, but damn. What are your thoughts on Frank Gore signing a one-year deal at just $2 million to play up there in Buffalo of all places, man? It's cold as hell. Them joints going to be hurting. Yeah, and I think he's just focused on records right now. I don't even think he wants to win because that's evident by signing in Buffalo. And him and Shady McCoy are really close. They actually train together in the offseason. They've always wanted to play together, so I think that was a big reason behind the signing. But from Buffalo's standpoint, I think it's low risk, high reward because Frank Gore is still producing. Let's not, I mean, let's not mistake him for that. He still is very highly productive, even though he has a lot of tread and a lot of miles on his body. And then you pair him with a guy who's been injury prone for the most part and Shady McCoy. Mm-hmm. Now you maybe have an older duo, and I still think they'll still be able to produce, even though they are older. And I still think they'll draft a guy as well. Yeah. So there's no reason to panic. That's what I was about to say. They'll probably take a young guy as well, round it out there. And, uh, you know, you're almost guaranteed one of those older guys get banged up at some point. They'll miss a couple games. So you probably got to take a young guy in the middle of the draft. And this NFL draft, if it's anything at the running back position, it's deep. I mean, you get about nine to 12 names down the list, and you're like, ah, is that guy really better than that guy? I don't know. Ranking, ranking seven through 12, if you will, of this year's running backs available for the draft is damn near impossible. It's pick a name out of a hat, in my opinion. I don't know how you feel about it, Jordan, um, but that's my opinion. Um, let's go on. As expected, the Jazz, the Jags signed Nick Foles. Um, people are surprised by this number, man. Four years, $88 million. $22 million for an average to slightly above average starting quarterback is about the going rate. Am I wrong, Brian? Or- yeah, yeah, it is. 
It yeah. is, and I think an Jordan. underrated factor about this is now he's back paired with John DeFilippo, who they mm-hmm. spent time together in mm-hmm. Philadelphia during their good run or from his magical run to the Super Bowl and actually win the Super Bowl MVP. So we'll see how that marriage does end up working out. But I think he'll be just fine because Jacksonville's forte is just run the ball and not turn the ball over and then play tough defense. So I think as long as he doesn't turn the ball over and makes good, accurate decisions, which he's known to do, that's Nick Foles as a whole forte. Mm-hmm. He's not going to put the offense in bad situations or the team overall in bad situations. So if he's able to take care of the ball and remain accurate on the short to intermediate areas with some occasional shots deep, yeah. to where they can get a lead, secure the lead, and then really run the air out of the ball. That's what they want to do in Jacksonville, then play tough, hard defense after that. For That's sure. their formula to win games. I know for a fact they better go get a big-bodied receiver, though, because uh, Nick Foles loves to just shove balls in and do that, uh, you know, just go high point the ball, Alshon Jeffrey. Um, I know you're covered. I know, I know, but it's okay. I'm just going to throw it up. You go grab it. Um, I saw a lot of that there in Philadelphia. Um, quick decision maker, though, going to stay relatively healthy and off the ground, I think, there in Philadelphia. So as we were recording the podcast, uh, Jordan, I got a notification. Tyron Matthew to the Chiefs, three years, $42 million. Quick thoughts on that before we get into the available names, my man. Yeah, I love it. And I think that's exactly what they needed in Kansas City because their mm-hmm. pass defense was actually 31st best in the league, which is second second worst throughout the league. So they obviously needed some DBs in the building. Orlando Skandrick is a long-term solution there. We know that all they had was Kendall Fuller really in the secondary. Eric Berry just can't be dependent on right now to stay healthy just because he's only played three games in the past two years, I believe it was. So he hasn't been able to stay on the field. So they needed that presence on the back end of their defense. And that's exactly what Tyron Matthew brings to the table. I got you. All right. So some names we've got still available here on the free agent market. As of the recording of this podcast, Earl Thomas, the 30-year-old safety, uh, coming off a broken leg, right? He's still available. Rumors are he wants two years, $30 million. Um, you know, is Dallas the team? Where's he end up? I know he kind of wants to be on a winner, but getting the money is also a major priority. Uh, trying to do a little bit of both there for Earl Thomas. Where do you think he ends up? Well, this is going to be really interesting because a lot of people don't know Earl Thomas and Landon Collins actually share the same agent. Hey-o. So they're really big. They've really been competing with each other to see who can get the most money. And I think Earl maybe can get a longer than a two-year deal, but maybe that's what he wants, maybe a one-plus-one deal, meaning that he can prove himself in that first year and then get that second year with a flexible type of option. So maybe that's why he wants that two-year, $30 million deal. We'll see what happens. I think the Cowboys would be a really good fit. I think it could be a plug-and-play option in that secondary because they need that true free safety center field type that can be an accuracy eraser on the back end or a mistake eraser on the back end of the defense. So I think the Cowboys will be a good fit for him. Maybe even Green Bay, I think that could be another great fit for him as well. I don't know. Earl Thomas in Green Bay, Wisconsin. I don't know if he's feeling that. Um, but you know what? <laughs> Playing with Aaron Rodgers is kind of cool. Um, other big name, obviously the, the second biggest name or probably the biggest name, most talked about name still available. It's got to be Le'Veon Bell, right? 27-year-old running back. Hasn't played football since Christmas of 2017. Rumored to want 50 mil over three years. Also rumored to be about 250 pounds right now. Um, what are your thoughts on Le'Veon Bell, man? Uh, I, I, I just can't do that. I, I can't give him anything close uh, to $14 million a year. That's even higher. I think that's around 17. Again, my math's not the greatest. But anything higher than what Todd Gurley, that you know, magnificent contract they gave him out in L.A., um, I'm just not doing for a 27-year-old running back who hasn't been on the field uh, in over a year and a half. What are your thoughts, Jordan? 
Yeah, I'm right there with you. And then seeing how disposable the running back position oh, has my. become over the past five years, it just doesn't make sense to invest in that position. And what teams are doing now, they're just drafting Draft one every late. single year, yeah. even four years, and just running the thread off the tires mm-hmm. and then letting them go about their way in free agency and just drafting another guy because the position has become so replaceable that you don't need that superstar type at the beginning of the rotation is more of a committee type of backfield, which we're seeing throughout the league. You have a ground and pound guy between the tackles, and then you have that scatter receiving type of back. The Patriots are prime examples of that. They have every single type. And yes, they invested a first round pick in Sonny Michelle last year, but it proved to work for them. And their recipe with him mixed with James White really worked out for them as well. So investing in one guy to take a brute of the carries in Le'Veon Bell, I just can't see anybody doing that and there's going to be a team that does pay him somebody's going to bite the bullet mm-hmm. just because of how good he was prior to sitting out last year but I'm really interested to see what team does that because there's been rumors of the Jets or maybe the Raiders and even some other teams as well that how about have that surfaced, Eagles but, rumor oh how wild is yeah. that Philadelphia yeah, of all places that like, would, what that would be crazy and it's something I could see Howie Roseman doing because yeah. he's not scared to roll the dice and maybe he gives him like a one-year $15 million deal. I could see Howie Roseman rolling out the red carpet for him just for one year to maximize his value. Yeah. And then he's thinking getting that comp pick. That's going to be a very high pick for in sure. 2020 as well. For sure. All right, so the, really the only notable cornerback here, and he's not that great anyways, but it's Ronald Darby, man. And, again, he may not be the best corner ever, but this is a draft that's extremely thin at corner, and this is a free agency uh, class that's even thinner at corner. Uh, what does Ronald Darby chase? I've heard something crazy like 15 mil. I mean, 14 and a half, like big-time corner numbers for Ronald Darby. What do you see, Jordan? Yeah, and this is another player that's coming off an ACL tear as well. So we'll see what he does get on the open market. But like you said, the draft is thin at corner. It's top-heavy. Uh, there's maybe two to three guys that could be potential first rounders. But after that, it's a complete mixed bag and you don't really know what you're going to get after that. And then after Ronald Darby, there's really no top corner Mm-mm. on the board as well. So I don't know exactly where he's going to go. There's been some rumors about the Steelers. That's one team that has surfaced. There's been some other rumors as well. So we'll see where he does end up. But it's going to be interesting to see exactly how much he does get on the open market, even though like Quan Alexander, he's another guy coming off an ACL tear. Yeah. All right, so two defensive linemen we got to hit on, and then we'll wrap these up and get five under ten. Uh, two defensive linemen, again, the Dominican Sioux played the year right there, the mercenary year in L.A. Um, the question with the Dominican Sioux is always, you know, his motives, right? Is he, does he want the most amount of money out there? Uh, does he want the best chance to win a ring? Or like last year, does he want a combination of both? What does the Dominican Sioux uh, end up fetching and uh, are we looking at a one, two-year deal, or does he wrap up and try to get some security over the long haul here towards the end of his career? I think he's going to be signing another one-year deal yeah. just because he didn't have, prior to the playoffs, he really didn't look like that player many people thought he was going to be or what he's accustomed to being when he was in Detroit. His Miami tenure was a mm-hmm. failure, and I wouldn't call the year with the Rams last year a failure. I just think it was a bit underwhelming. And a lot of people don't really trust Ndamukong Sue to play down in and down out just because his motor has been the biggest question. And then you don't know what he's going to do in games either because, I mean, he's labeled as one of the most dirtiest players in the NFL. So there's a little bit of untrustworthy factor with him. So we'll see him probably sign on the second or third day of free agency or even a little later like he did last year when he got the one-year deal from the Rams. All right, last guy we're going to talk about, big name still available, just cut from the Kansas City Chiefs. Justin Houston and Jordan I'd be straight up lying to your face if I told you I wasn't shocked to see Justin Houston is only 
30 years old. I feel like this guy's been in the league for, you know, over a decade. Um, But he had 22 sacks in 2014, right? Damn near broke the sack record. Well, he's racked up just 21 sacks in the last four years combined. Um, What does Justin Houston need to do to get back on track um, there? And do you think he can, obviously? Um, And where does he end up? Yeah, I think he can. And he's been very productive. And he was a good player for the Chiefs throughout his tenure, still only 29 years old. A lot of people think he's such an older player, which he's really not. I think he's still well into his prime. But his cap number was just way too high. They're not going to pay 18-plus million dollars a year for Justin Houston with the production that he's had the past few years. And he's been productive throughout his tenure with the Chiefs. But they needed that cap room, especially with them expected to pay Patrick Mahomes, 200 plus million dollars here in the next few years. They're going to need to cut bait with some dead weight. And that's exactly what they did. And even though they did pay Tyron Matthew, which I think was a much needed addition, Mm -hmm. they have to pick and choose exactly who they do pay in spots. And Justin Houston, I think he might end up on the Colts just because of the Chris Ballard connection from his time with the Chiefs. I think that could be somewhere that he does end up. And they have a need at pass rusher as well. So keep an eye on the Colts for a landing spot for Justin Houston. All right, believe it or not, this is a draft podcast. It is the NFL Mocks podcast, Mock, Mock, Draft, get it? Um, but let's, we got to knock some NFL draft questions out. I know we covered all of free agency today, but that's what the people want to hear, right, the free agency. We don't want to be talking draft during free agency time. But let's get these quick draft questions knocked out. Five under ten, all right, you got five questions, under ten seconds apiece. Keep them short, keep them sweet. Number one, the can't-miss player in the draft – Who's the absolute home run, Jordan? Who's your home run? Oh, it's Quentin Williams. Ah, it's everyone's Quentin Williams, man. Everyone's Quentin Williams. He's a home run pick, and I think it's easy to see. Turn on the film. He's disruptive in every single game. He has incredible hand hand usage and incredible power as well. Yeah, and like we talked about, um, on our last episode here on the NFL Mox podcast, a dude that's still, in my mind, got a couple years left to grow, still got a baby face there. Um, you know, could see a real, real freak um, in a couple years in the NFL in Quinton Williams. I'm there with you. Obviously, you can't miss there. You take him. You got an eight, nine-year, uh, you know, top caliber Pro Bowl-type uh, defensive tackle there. So second question I got for you, who's the guy you're completely out on, right? You had your home run pick. Who's the guy you're like, nope, I ain't touching him. Not on my draft board. Who is it? Oh, uh, that's a really good question. And I probably would go with Jakai Polite just because of what he showed yeah. at the Combine. And I was a huge Jakai Polite fan coming into the year and into the Combine as well. But just the behavior that he exhibited at his mm-hmm. press conference and then airing teams out, talking about what happened to him in meetings and that he felt like they were attacking him. I thought it was a bit immature on his part. And then he runs a 44 40 for a guy that's known to be explosive at Florida. I was just very disappointed with him. Yeah, I feel like a lot of people had their heart broken uh, during Combine Weekend with Ja'Kai Polite. I mean, we watch these guys on tape, right, and we expect to see something correlate there on the Combine field uh, in Indianapolis. And a guy who, like you just hit on, man, he whiffed in every aspect. He loser limps after a 4 8 doesn't even run his second one, has terrible interviews with all those teams, and my worst, and I've already talked about it here on the NFL Mox podcast, the worst thing he did – during combine week, in my opinion, is when uh, a reporter asked him what his number one move was on film, and then the reporter told him that he had noticed he does a good long-arm stick against left tackles on film. And Ja'Kai looked at him and said, man, that's nuts. You picked that up. I don't even watch film on myself. Um, absolutely horrible, right? NFL, yeah. your, your number one job interview, your only job interview ever, um, if you're going to be a successful NFL football player, you probably never have to work another day in your life if you just survive these next couple of interviews, and he just chopped it all up. 
um, not great there for Ja'Kai Polite. So my next question I got for you, and you'll probably be real quick on this one, Kyler Murray or Baker Mayfield, go. Oh, I think it's Baker by far, in my really? opinion. And why do I say that? I think he's a bit more accurate mm-hmm. down the field. And that's the thing that stands out really about Baker Mayfield above Kyler Murray. And Kyler is very accurate down the field. I don't mm-hmm. want to take that away from him. But I just think the way Baker was able to pinpoint the ball down the field and not just down the field, is in the short to intermediate areas as well. And then the confidence and leadership that's that he exuberates as well. I think that's the difference between the two because Kyler has more of a laid back kind of mm-hmm. quiet personality, but Baker, I think he's that magnetic force that you're looking for in the quarterback room and something that you look forward to with an organization as well. Jordan, you're a quarterback yourself, man. Um, what kind of quarterback were you, man? Were you that guy that had the juice at all times? Were you in there? Cause you're pretty soft spoken on all your media events, man. Were you that guy that had the juice in the huddle or were you kind of more laid back, uh, follow me, lead by example kind of guy? Yeah, I definitely was the lead by example guy, and you can tell kind of in out. my voice. I wasn't. No, I, I wasn't really. A, no, yeah, I wasn't cool. really. A, I wasn't a rah-rah guy. I just let my performance speak for itself. Nah, man. Some of the, sometimes those are the guys you need because you never know. Kyler Murray may go to a locker room. Let's say he ends up in Arizona. I would venture to say Chandler Jones is a pretty vocal uh, leader there in Arizona. I would venture to say Larry Fitzgerald is a rather vocal leader there in Arizona. And, hell, David Johnson, he seems rather soft-spoken, but nonetheless a, uh, you know, a pro bowler there on that roster he can look after uh, and look up to. So my next question I got for you, who's the sleeper in the draft, man? Who's the guy that's going to go day two, day three, that we're looking back next year and going, God, man, how do teams miss on this guy? Who is it? Yeah, so his name is Dennis Daly. He's an offensive tackle from South Carolina. A lot of people don't uh, really know about tackle. him. Left tackle, yeah. Yeah, he, he was a left tackle, very productive. He was. He wore 73 at South Carolina? 74. 74, yeah. Yeah, he spent, he spent two years at South Carolina, just to give you a little background about him. He was at Georgia Military Academy his first two years. He played JUCO there for two years. Then he transitioned to South Carolina, started 23 of 24 games there at South Carolina. If you go look at him versus Clemson, he just completely shut out Cleveland Farrell after the first or after the first quarter. Mm-hmm. He settled in a bit. He was he adjusted. He's very athletic, light on his feet, has a really good punch, and he's very physical as well. So he has those traits that you're looking for already. All right, let's get you some Homer love. You ready? Who do the Vikings take at 18? Your Minnesota Vikings. Who do they take at the 18th pick, first round? Well, it's just I think it's going to be best available. My dream pick would be Andre Dillard from Washington State. I, I think they think need he's that making it there. Yeah, I, I, I don't hope think he so does. Either. That'd be cool for you. Yeah, he's. I mean, they need that pass protecting guy that they can mold into being a more aggressive run blocker. Now with Gary Kubiak in the system now and in the in the building, they need that zone scheme type of offensive tackle, and I think he fits the building perfectly. All right, man. Well, that's all I got for you here on the NFL Mocks podcast today. Jordan, man, I really appreciate you for stopping by here on the NFL Mocks podcast, my man. No problem. I really appreciate that. And I do want to plug something really fast, if you don't mind. All all day. It's all you. Go ahead. (laughs) I actually have my draft guide coming out April 12th, and it's going to be $10. And what comes in the draft guide, I've scouted over 200 prospects. I have strengths, weaknesses, background information, their combine results, and just little notes that I found out 
about them throughout the year, and it'll be over 200 pages. My actual final big board will be included in that as well, round grades and things of that nature as well. So be on the lookout for that. I'll post the link on April 1st. That's when prepaid things will be out as well. So it'll be $10. It'll be on my Twitter page at NFL. That's at J-R-E-I-D NFL. So be on the lookout for that. I'm going to tell you what, Jordan. The basic white girl spent $10 tonight at the Chipotle. The least the homeboys can do is give my man 10 bucks for over, listen to that, guys, 200 prospects, a deep dive in on all of them, and it's very, very evident this young man knows his stuff. Go support Jordan's work. Again, J. Reed NFL on Twitter. That's J-R-E-I-D, Reed NFL uh, on Twitter, man. Again, thanks for coming with us, man. No problem. Thanks for having me. Yeah, when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.